successful in today's world as a business, you always have to ask the first question on your lips every time is what's the right thing to do, as opposed to what's the most expedient thing to do, uh, or the least expensive thing to do. We've made a couple of decisions that have been quite expensive in the last couple of years, but that have fundamentally felt like the right thing to do, and they have stood us in great stead in terms of our, um, both in terms of our colleague engagement, customer engagement, but more importantly, our brand health. Hi, welcome to Forbes India's Daily Tech Conversation, where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs, and investors from around the world whose work has a bearing on India. I'm Hari Arakli, and today I bring you another episode of The Big Picture, exclusive and insightful conversations with CEOs and technology leaders at some of the world's biggest companies. Our guests today are Ken Murphy, CEO of Tesco, the UK's biggest grocer and one of the world's biggest retailers, and Sumit Mitra, CEO of Tesco Business Services and Tesco Bengaluru. Murphy is visiting Tesco India for the first time since taking over as chief executive of the group about 18 months ago. In this conversation, he and Mitra talk about the role of the CEO in managing multiple stakeholders, the growing role of technology in pretty much everything, and experiments at Tesco with respect to reducing the retail giant's carbon footprint. Ken, welcome to India and Bangalore and welcome to this conversation with uh, Forbes India. Perhaps this is the first time you're coming after COVID restrictions have been largely removed in the UK and maybe first time at Tesco? It is, Harry. And in fact, um, I, I haven't been in India since 1997, if you can believe that. And, and Dr. Sumit, welcome to this podcast. Happy to have you on this show. Pleasure is all mine. All right. For listeners in India, give us a snapshot of Tesco. It's, it's more than a 100-year-old company. Tell us about what it is today and, and maybe a bit about its scale of operations and so on. Yeah, so, so Tesco is um, the number one grocery retailer in the UK market um, and is probably the number two in the Republic of Ireland. Um, it also has a wholesale business in the UK called Booker um, and has a retail presence in three markets in Hungary, the Czech Republic and Slovakia. It also has a bank, Tesco Bank, based in Edinburgh with offices in, also in Glasgow and Newcastle, actually. And um, we have a data science and analytics business called Dunhumby um, that I mentioned earlier, which is based in the UK, but has offices in many countries around the world. And actually, its largest office is in Delhi. Um, so that's a, a quick snapshot of the group. Um, turnover, about 55 billion, give or take, um, excluding uh, fuel. Um, and um, market share of about 27% in the UK. Um, and is a business that is, you know, is leading in many respects in the in the grocery world, um, both in terms of its approach to e-commerce, um, quick commerce, and um, a lot of other aspects of grocery retail. Mm. From, from your vantage point, um, tell us a little bit about what you see as uh, some of the biggest changes in your industry. Well, clearly the pandemic has, has created a, um, initially created quite a swing towards e-commerce. Um, the brilliant thing about the Tesco business model is it's truly multi-channel. So we were actually able to respond really quickly 
to those changes. And in fact, we were able to add um, one and a half million or bill our, our slots from 600,000 slots a week to one and a half million slots a week in literally in six weeks. Mm. And that just shows the incredible agility of the business. So um, there's no doubt that since restrictions ended, we've seen that e-commerce spike settle down a little bit, but it's definitely settling down at a materially higher level than it was um, pre-pandemic. I think the second thing we've seen is the emergence of quick commerce and a huge amount of money being pumped into quick commerce startups. Um, how many of them will still be here in three years is uh, a question in my mind. But again, we responded very quickly and we launched and established our own quick commerce um, proposition um, in, in a matter of months. Um, and that's fully integrated into our platform. So we've seen a number of changes, but at each juncture, Tesco has been incredibly responsive and has reacted really, really well to those changes. And I have to say that um, our team here in uh, Bengaluru, both uh, in terms of the TBS team and also the technology team, have been an integral part of, of uh, also being able to respond to these changes um, because of the capabilities that, that they bring to the party. Mm. Tell us a bit more about uh, what, what you mean when you say quick commerce at uh, Tesco and also maybe you can delve into uh, what are some of the factors that are really driving these big changes that you spoke about? Well, I think probably the biggest thing has been um, the fact that people couldn't go outside their homes for, you know, big mm. part of the last two years. And that's kind of meant that some, some changes are, um, are taking hold permanently. Um, I think the second thing is that, you know, through a combination of advances in technology, um, people are um, being offered very rapid delivery for some small baskets and, and they found it appealing because again, in a lockdown period where you're not going out much and you're spending a lot of time at home and um, it just, it's just a very convenient proposition. Um, in terms of what, what that really means um, by way of um, promise, you know, a lot of the rapid um, startups would say it's, it's you've got to be 10 minutes or less. We don't believe that. We think that probably a half an hour is probably good enough for most customer trips. But um, it's something that we're still in the early stages of. We're still trying to understand it properly and we're, we've got a lot of work to do to refine. Mm -hmm. So over the um, last 18 odd months, uh, since when you took over as CEO at Tesco, uh, tell us a little bit about some of the biggest changes that you've implemented at, at the company. Also, of course, you know, it's, it's coincided with the pandemic as well. So uh, talk us through some of the big changes that you've implemented and maybe they're ongoing as well. Yeah, I think the first thing to say is I inherited the business in great shape from the previous leadership. So, you know, I felt very privileged and, and in fact inherited a great team as well. And that has meant that some of the big changes either organizationally or from a strategy perspective, uh, I didn't have to make. Um, what I did 
though, was make some bets on uh, a combination of um, our loyalty platform and where I think we can take it, um, and on um, our view around Dunhumbie as a business, which I think is a, a, a very important part of the future um, in terms of our um, analytics and data science capabilities, particularly as it pertains to customer and category management. Um, and um, really taking a much more uh, inclusive approach to building strategy and business plans. And I've been blessed with the fact that the top 50 leaders in this business are exceptionally talented and very energized. And so when we brought them into the strategy building process and Summit was part of that team, they were a huge driving force in the strategy that we built. Um, and actually, more importantly, they feel like they own it. It's their strategy, and therefore they're invested in its execution and delivery because it, you know, it wasn't handed down to them. Um, and that, I think, is probably you know some of the biggest changes. Um, clearly, there's a number of big decisions that have had to be made tactically along the way, which we've done. And I'm pleased to say that you know the business is in good shape. And again, I think uh, you should talk about the purpose. I think which we are particularly proud of. Oh, that's true, very true. So yes, so one of the things that, um, that, that did change in a really meaningful way was the purpose. Um, the old Tesco purpose was serving shoppers a little bit better every day um, for a number of reasons. We, we thought even though that was a wonderful purpose, it wasn't quite doing the trick for us. Um, and that, that really is because, you know, the group, if you look at it in its broader sense, includes bank includes wholesale business that is business to business includes tesco business services here in in um Bangalore and of course um Dunhumbie, which is also a business to business um so we changed that to uh, customers and then the other two changes which we all felt were really important was that we include both communities and planet so our new purpose is uh, serving our customers communities and planet a little better every day. And this is really to reflect um, the broader responsibility that corporations have in today's world. Mm. If, if you step back uh, and look at all these different changes that are happening in your company, in your industry, indeed around the world, um, you know, in ways that have a bearing on your operations, to your mind uh, and from your position, uh, what is the big picture today? I think the big picture today for a CEO in, in any business, um, but very particularly in a customer-facing business that has a very high profile of consumers and, and attracts a lot of column inches in its home markets, is that um, it's no longer a, a role where you keep the shareholders happy and everything else is okay. You, you've got to actually manage um, customer satisfaction, colleague satisfaction, stakeholder satisfaction, and environmental satisfaction alongside investor satisfaction. It's a really, it's a much broader remit and it's a real balanced approach to stakeholder management in a way that I think is, is fundamentally different from even five years ago. And that means that it was always true, but it's become even more true that to be successful in today's world as a business, you always have to ask them. the first question on your lips every time is what's the right thing to do? 
mm. as opposed to what's the most expedient thing to do uh, or the least expensive thing to do. And we've made a couple of decisions that have been quite expensive in the last couple of years, but that have fundamentally felt like the right thing to do. And they have stood us in great stead in terms of our, um, both in terms of our colleague engagement, customer engagement, but more importantly, our brand health. And over the last two years, we have seen probably the fastest rate of improvement in our brand health scores than we've seen in the last 15 years in Tesco. Um, and equally, um, someone may come on to talk about it later. You know, he sees that in his part of the Tesco group in, in TBS, where taking an approach where it's colleague first and looking after their needs through the pandemic has generated massive goodwill and he's created an environment really that is much more about having colleagues feel at their best and feel properly looked after. That is the platform for his success in delivering for the rest of the group. So I think that for me is probably the biggest change. Mm. So tell us a bit more about uh, what this means in practice. Uh, you said you've done a few things that were expensive, but that were the right thing to do. Uh, give us one example uh, of some of those initiatives and uh, what it entailed. Well, so uh, let me give you um, one specific example. I think I was in the business a month when it became apparent that we had been granted, along with other grocery retailers, business rates relief by the government, which was really designed to um, ease the burden of small retailers that had closed during the pandemic. And we could have technically speaking kept it, but it became very obvious very quickly that the right thing to do was to give it back to the government. And that was 700 million pounds. Um, it, it, it was a big statement, but it really, I think, set the tone for how we show up um, and was a very important kind of uh, moment. I think the second one was um, an interesting comparison with a competitor, which I won't name, that, you know, pre-pandemic, we had um, about uh, 600,000 slots, as I think I said, which we increased to one and a half million. Um, we grew our customer base by a million customers. And in fact, we, um, for dot-com delivery, and 850, thousands of those we classified as uh, vulnerable and therefore we gave them prioritized access to delivery slots so that they were sure to get their grocery delivered. We had a competitor that actually, and therefore we also capped the basket size. So pre-pandemic our average basket size was about 92 pounds and it only went up to about 100 pounds um, in the height of the pandemic and um, because we capped it and that, that allowed us to effectively service that million plus extra customers. And it, that was probably not the most profitable way to think about it because the most profitable way is to get the biggest basket size as possible with the fewest customers. And a, a competitor did the opposite. They actually shrank their customer base by 100,000 and they allowed their slot size to go up or their, sorry, their average basket size go from about 95 pounds to 155. Um, the difference being, therefore, we grew by 80% and they grew by 40%. And the residual goodwill that we retained 
when the pandemic started to ease was was exceptional. Mm. Earlier, you mentioned uh, your loyalty business, the increased focus on that. Uh, so, so maybe you could give us the example of your uh, club card experience so far. And I was reading that uh, many more people now use it via Tesco's mobile app. I, if you forgive me, and I, I, I apologize for this, we, we're in a closed period because we publish our results in about two weeks. My CFO would kill me if I gave <laughs> that kind of data because it will, you know, it will form part of our annual results presentation in a couple of weeks. So if you don't mind, I won't go into too many details about that. Um, other than to say that it is, um, it's very exciting what's happening. And I think if you looked, don't know if you had the opportunity to look at our previous results presentations, but they will uh, describe the journey we're on in terms of the um, basket penetration of Club Card, of the launch of Club Card prices in our convenience stores. Um, you will see. Um, because we've done it, that we've extended club card prices to our meal deal, which is our highest volume transaction. And we are growing the app base continuously. So I think we announced last at the half year that we were up at about 7 million. And I can tell you that's continued to grow. Maybe you can kind of, you know, in, in broad terms, talk about what is the focus of applying technology uh, you know to various aspects of uh, you know in the front end the way you engage with your customers so so what, what i can tell you is that there are there are four aspects of our strategy which again we've described in our last results which is two of them i would describe as growth drivers and two of them are kind of continuous improvement or getting the basics right so one is magnetic value which is really got three pillars. One is a relentless focus on providing the best value for our customers, which is something that goes through each other has to do. The second is really driving up quality. And the third is meeting our ESG commitments, particularly being net carbon neutral in our own operations by 2035 and net carbon on a scope three basis by 2050, which is truly monumental by way of, of a challenge. And then the fourth one is our save to invest, which TBS plays an integral role in all of our strategic drivers, by the way, but particularly in Save to Invest, it's, it's massively influential. Um, then there are the two growth drivers, and really they, they revolve in a, in a fairly simple way. So I, I genuinely believe that good strategy is a pretty simple plan, because the more convoluted, typically, the harder it is to execute. And strategy is a waste of time unless you execute it well. Um, and it, it really is about building around the customer a set of um, delivery capabilities that mean that they can get what they want, wherever they want, however they want, and whenever they want. And that really is about having the most extensive store network. It's about having the best coverage from a dot-com delivery perspective. It's about having a really slick and efficient click-and-collect model. And it's about having an integrated and really easy to use quick commerce proposition. So that's really that, that kind of integrated, uh, we call that easily the most convenient. So we operate on the principle that it doesn't matter who's competing with us. Um, they won't be able to outdo us on the total convenience package. 
But the second pillar, or gold pillar, is uh, I love my Tesco club card. And that really is about taking that kind of convenience framework and then harnessing other aspects of our business model, like finance through Tesco Bank, phone through Tesco Mobile, fuel through our petrol stations, and of course, our grocery proposition, and say, how do we make it really sticky for customers to trade with us instead of somebody else? And that, we believe, is done through a combination of a primarily, in the first instance, a digital relationship with the customer, so that they have a kind of a, an, a single app for all their Tesco needs, whether that be GHS, whether it be Bush, whether it be club card points, they can do everything through a single app. Second is they have an overview of their points and they, they, they get into a kind of a mutually reinforcing cycle where the more they trade with us, the more we reward them. And the third thing is where we're really trying to apply the technology is we get increasingly better at anticipating their needs through sophisticated um, analytics and data science so that we can almost intercept them before they realize they're gonna need something with an offer um, that will meet that need. And that's in a nutshell what our, what our strategy is about. Mm. And about your net zero uh, commitments, uh, give us a sense of the most important ways in which your operations and supply chains are changing today. Uh, what, are the, what are the factors that are affecting those changes? And also, uh, maybe after that, I know I'd like to get into any interesting experiments that you might be trying, uh, you know, in terms of uh, your carbon neutral and sustainability goals. Sure. So I'll give an overview. Then actually, I'll pass to Summit because I think Summit's got the greenest um, campus in India and certainly in Bengaluru. Um, but let me just start with a couple. So, you know, first of all, we are drivers of um, food waste reduction globally. We we're really leading on that, and we have a commitment to reduce food waste in our own operations by 40% um, within the next, uh, by half, sorry. And we're already kind of 25, 30% away there. Um, and we've done that really through a combination of working with food banks, um, working with um, app-based um, uh, providers that allow us to, you know, effectively collect food and have it distributed to charities in real time based on what their needs are. So that they, we use um, an Irish company called Food Cloud to help us distribute. Um, then we're, we're experimenting at the moment with something that has implications both for food waste management and for um, sustainability, particularly soy. So we're um, looking at how we can scale up um, a, 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 a creature called a black soldier fly, which effectively is an amazing creature in the sense that when it's larvae, it will eat anything. And um, interestingly, one of the biggest problems with food recycling, particularly for, for animal feed, is that um, little shards of glass or plastic or whatever if they get into the food system, they can obviously do a lot of damage to animals. Um, so the black soldier fly larvae will eat uh, around all of those shards. And when they're finished, they'll eat everything. And all, all that will be left will be the kind of 
in the digestible. It's quite a remarkable thing to watch. Uh, the smell is particularly horrific. But it's, it is pretty important. Um, then these larvae, when they mature into um, flies, um, don't travel. They're not interested in traveling and they stop eating. All they do is mate and then they die. And then, and then effectively we freeze dry them and they can be used as animal feed as an alternative to soil. Wow. They're very high protein. Now there are some legislative hurdles we need to jump through, but it's particularly exciting because soy is obviously a big driver of deforestation. Um, so that's one. We're also looking at ways, for example, we can integrate um, seaweed and algae into animal feed, particularly cow feed, to reduce the methane emissions. So there are some experiments that said they can reduce by 90%. Um, virtually all our stores now are, are run off renewable energy. And we have a commitment to have our entire home delivery fleet switched over to electric vehicles by 2028. And we've got the first 40 vehicles that just arrived, actually. Um, but some of, why don't you tell Harry about some of the things you're doing here? So here in Bangalore, uh, we have a 15 and a half acre campus, uh, which has been kind of um, awarded as, as kind of the greenest campus in, in Karnataka. So I'll, I'll give you some of the, kinda, the, the key points. Number one, 80% of all our electricity is solar-based. It comes from solar plants. Zero food waste. So we produce, uh, as you can imagine, hundreds of tons of food waste uh, every year. So what we do within our campus, we convert the food waste into biogas and, 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 and we send it off. The third thing we do is 100% um, of all our water is recycled. We have our own recycling water uh, treatment plant here in our, in our, in our campus and we treat the water and then use it to make our campus green. And then we also have a very uh, a zero plastic policy within, within our campus and, and everything is, is done through, through recycle. And that's the important thing is connect our colleagues to the purpose of the organization. So yeah, we're do, doing a number of things within our campus, as, as I said, to kind of make sure we are well connected to the purpose. Mm. I do want to ask uh, a couple of more questions uh, on Tesco India in the center in Bangalore. Uh, but one question uh, to both of you, uh, uh, in, in, do take it in whichever order you, you like. Uh, what, what is your view on uh, automation, uh, whether in your stores or uh, automating e-commerce operations or in your supply chain? I mean, these days so many things are possible. Uh, so, so, I mean, and there is, of course, some a degree of tension in terms of people viewing automation as something that will take away jobs. So, uh, on the whole, uh, what is your approach to automation? Um, yeah, Harry, you're absolutely right. There is always that tension. The reality is always proven to be different, which is that you know I can't remember a time when we had too many people. Um, we're always scrambling for talent um, and actually in stores and distribution this year you know it was there was always a battle for talent so my view is that um, a lot of that tension is dissipated um, 
and really you now people are, from a job satisfaction perspective, constantly looking for automation to take away the mundane tasks, improve the efficiency and the accuracy to increase their job satisfaction and increase the efficiency of the business. Most importantly, increase the customer experience. So um, we view automation as a good thing. We don't think of it as a panacea, so we don't think it's you know, applicable to everything. But in a very measured way, we we like in a, we like to innovate around automation where it makes sense. And so, an example of that is again, um, contrary to some of our competitors, when it comes to um, e-commerce, we think that what made sense to us was picking and fulfilling these e-commerce needs much closer to the customer through our stores rather than building these big automated central fulfillment warehouses. In many of these stores now we're out of capacity. And so the only way to solve that has been through the building of um, uh, urban fulfillment centers or micro fulfillment centers, whatever you want to call them, alongside the store that complements our store pick model. Um, and that's a great example where automation is really helping um, the business, helping the colleagues, and actually, you know, isn't impacting really from an employment perspective. And then if I can talk a little bit about from a business services uh, process perspective, as Ken said earlier on, uh, we, we, you know, there's two streams, uh, you know, I, I call it two tracks of a bullet train. If technology is a bullet train, there is two tracks that is required for the bullet train to run. And track number one is the culture of the organization. Do we have the right culture in terms of adopting and adapting the right change? And the second piece is, do you have the right process? Because any technology that is dumped on a bad process doesn't work. So we have been working over the last three or four years in terms of building the right culture uh, within the organization. And, and you know, we have a number of accolades uh, we've won over the last three, four years in terms of how we've built our culture. The second piece is around process. Uh, we have a very clear process map in terms of, we call it the service model, in terms of how each of our processes work and, and where the handoffs are, and, and we've standardized those processes. And now what we're doing is going all guns in terms of digitalizing our processes. And the good thing is, um, you know, we, you, if you pick up any journal these days, they talk about you know so many million jobs going to go in India uh, as 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 we automate. But I I, I kind of look at it slightly differently. You know, we actually train our colleagues to be more commercially aware, to make sure that they are digitally aware, and they look for opportunities within their own processes to make themselves redundant. And it's a good thing. So as they make themselves redundant, we can then reskill them to take on more value-added activity within our business to create more value for the organization. I'm sure you know, uh, you'll agree that you know, our, our colleagues didn't go to university to work on spreadsheets. So how do we remove anything that is task-based, anything that is rule-based, anything that is um, process-driven and, 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 and replace them with robotics capability, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, to ensure that our colleagues move up the value chain. And that's been our, our focus. So it's not about headcount anymore, it's about skill count and how do we create different skills that skills of the future that we can build in our organization that adds value 
for our customers, for our suppliers, for our colleagues within our business. Tell us a bit more about uh, what uh, the Tesco Center in Bangalore is doing today and what it is about uh, today. I mean, uh, maybe you can briefly tell us what the intent was when you started the center, I think back in 2003, 2004. And today I understand you have upwards of 4,000 uh, engineers and others. Uh, so give us a sense of some of the most important uh, areas in which uh, you work as part of Tesco's global operations. Yeah, I, I mean, if you, if, you, if, you, if you think about how India started off, you know, shared services, in-house capability, captive, whatever you want to call it. So it started off about 25, 30 odd years ago where the sole, sole purpose of putting work in India was labor arbitrage. And how do you, and, and it was done, I call it random violence in terms of looking at uh, parts of processes that you don't want to do onshore, you, you kind of get a move it. And what happened, it creates sort of bits and pieces of process. But then the world has moved on, it became shared services where you run multiple functions to GBS, which is a global business services model, to a digital global business services. And where we are from a Tesco perspective, we call it intelligent business practice. We don't call it a shared service or a, or, or, or a global business services. It's no longer a service organization. So if I give you a little sense of what we actually do. So if I start with property services, if you think about any Tesco store globally, the architectural design of any stores is actually done right here at, at Tesco Bangalore um, within, within TBS. And we, we do the design, we do the uh, project and program management, managing the cost of deployment, any refurbishment that we need for stores, it's all done from here. We think about fridge, remote fridge management, freezer management to avoid food waste, which Ken talked about earlier on. <laughs> um, all the colleague, uh, customer and supplier contacts, 18 million of them uh, annually, is, is managed through, through Tesco Business Services. 78% of all finance processes across uh, Tesco um, retail is, is, is done through uh, Tesco Business Services. 100% of all payroll activity, uh, pension, the, the, the tax the tax payment for, with the government, is all managed by Tesco Business Services. Then we have um, uh, data science and data analytics team in Dunhamby we talked about. How do we leverage their capability to bring insights uh, that, that, we, that we, you know, we'd be sitting on a number of end-to-end -end processes. So how do we leverage those, those processes and connect the dots across the processes and create an untapped value opportunity through leveraging data science and, and business insights? So that's something we do here in, in Tesco Bangalore. So as you see, and then if I talk about technology, you know, even five years ago, we would say 80% of our organization was very much service-driven. We were managing help desk, we were doing second line, third line support. But now it's completely reversed and 60% of the work that we do here is engineering. And we work as a global team, working with our teams in Krakow, in Budapest, in UK, and all the technology innovation that Ken talked about is done very much in partnership with the global technology team uh, with our Bangalore colleagues to create value for Tesco. So hopefully that gives you a little sense of kind of what, what we do here uh, in Bangalore. Mm -hmm. As you know, um, in India today, there is a lot of interest 
in in entrepreneurship in startups and so on um, um, because there is a growing startup ecosystem here and uh, i'm sure dr sumit you probably engage with a lot of these uh, startups i'm just wondering if uh, you know if there are any interesting uh, experiments uh, partnerships that you're exploring with startups uh, either here or anywhere in the world and can give us a couple of examples of kind of things that you're doing sure look so when so we look at it is we have our core team anything that is ib driven and, and, and we want to we want to keep that in house but we also uh, are cognizant of the fact that there is a bigger market out there and how do we leverage our ecosystem around us to create capability within tesco and, and we absolutely do that we work with a number of startups we have number of hackathons every year uh, even if there is two or three ideas that come out of the hackathon is is absolutely brilliant we we you know from a tesco business services perspective we've been working with a a small startup i'll keep it nameless um, where we are looking at um, digital bots to help us to to um, translate our data it's, it's almost like a it sits on top of our database and and answers a lot of queries which would require a lot of email and reports um it's it's really worked for us and and it helps us to um streamline a lot of the queries that may come from different parts of the business um so so that's kind of one of the examples we also work with uh, a number of other startups to help us deploy intelligent workflow systems um, <coughs> which we deploy into uh, and you know because if you think about the type of work that we do it's different because finance is completely different to a payroll system or a payroll system is completely different to the product and, and the commercial work that we do so each requires slightly different more bespoke type of intelligent workflow tool that we use so we work with specific startups and and, and suppliers to to help deploy those within our business all right can uh, i want to switch gears a little bit and um tell us a bit about how you were offered the tesco ceo's job i mean if there's a story there even better in fact i was you know by way of doing some homework i was reading some of the articles from the uk papers and uh, one piece in the guardian newspaper described you as a, a boots lifer uh, what decided you on taking the tesco role to be fair Harry, this 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 article shouldn't be about me it should be about the business but but very briefly i i think it was one of those things where the ceo of of tesco at the time i decided he, he was going to he was thinking about stepping down um my name was included in the process with with a number of others and um and they offered me the role at the end is not nothing more exciting than that by way of story i can't really kind of uh, embellish it too much um i think that from from a, a walgreens boots alliance point of view um I was very fond of boots as a business but um to to kind of the, the latter part of my career was really focused in the US with Walgreens um and more globally with our brands and and I and I felt that as Walgreens became a Walgreens boots alliance became um ever more you get US centric and that to to kind of progress further in your career with them you would have to be committing to live full time in the US um i made a family decision and said i'd prefer to be living in europe and so i moved my family back you know to ireland um and you know i'm really pleased i did because um 
I think Tesco is a wonderful business. Um, I've always felt that if I did, if I worked for another corporation, it would be in a corporation I could make a difference in. And um, Tesco gives you the scale to make a really meaningful difference. Um, and um, it's also had to be a business that had the right culture. And Tesco has a wonderful culture. It really does. It's a very warm culture, a very inclusive culture, cares a lot about its customers and about its people. And that for me was, um, was really, really resonated from a personal values perspective. So um, I've never looked back. Um, I love every minute of it. Mm. And earlier on, when, when we started this conversation, you talked about uh, so many different uh, stakeholders uh, and, 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 you know, other parties that uh, now a global CEO needs to always be aware of uh, to keep in mind. Um, so I would imagine it's vital for your job to cut through all the noise and figure out what's really important. What's your way of doing that? So um, one of the one of the behaviors that we we uh, we happened upon when um, we were formulating the strategy was uh, was called Live Twenty Eighty. And, and, and what that means is, is really focus on delivering 80% of the benefit for, benefit for 20% of the effort. And so we're really trying to be very focused about what's going to make the most meaningful difference to us from a customer perspective, from a colleague perspective, and, and is going to drive our business model. And I, I take a very collegiate approach to that. I believe that, uh, and I'll... I'll borrow the phrase of Sam Walton, which is none of us is smarter than all of us. Um, and, um, and that's been proven to be true. So really where we ended from a, a kind of a focus and priority point of view was the collective effort of 50 people rather than me sitting in a dark room on my own and coming up with some kind of tablet of stone. Um, and I think in, in the modern world, that's a much more effective model of leadership. Um, the second thing I would say to you is that uh, I, I genuinely believe that um, successful businesses of the future will operate on an inverted pyramid model where basically it's a servant leader model. So I'm there to serve my team, my team are there to serve their teams, and their teams are to serve the colleagues on the front line who are serving customers. And it's only in that kind of frame of mind that you're successful as opposed to a retailer because um, they're the people that have the daily contact. They're the people that actually decide in the mind of the customer whether your brand is a good brand or not. All right. Uh, one last question. Uh, finally, uh, what worries you the most about the future? And is there anything that gives you a bit of optimism? Um, the first thing I'd say is that I'm inherently optimistic. So I, I tend not to overly worry about too much. Um, and I feel very optimistic about the quality of our business, its financial strength, its capabilities, its focus on customer. Um, these are all really um, key qualities that I think will stand to us, regardless of, um, of what is thrown at us. Um, I worry about, um, I tend to worry about the big things, not the little things. So I, I read a lot of history. So I worry a lot about the direction of travel from a geopolitical perspective. Um, you can feel the polarization, um, and that is really worrying. 
I think that that polarization has been showing up in domestic politics as well. If you look across a number of different countries, it's not unique to one country. And that's deeply worrying. Um, I think climate change is a real thing now and the impact that might have on food security. So that is something that I'm definitely very focused on. So those would be the three big ones. Um, uh, all the other stuff, frankly, we can deal with. Um, even another pandemic, I feel very confident we can deal with it. We may not enjoy it, but we could deal with it. Mm. All right. I mean, so, so in, in the context of this conversation, anything that comes to your mind, you or Dr. Sumin, that, that I did not ask you about, uh, or that I did not know about, I think we've, we've covered all the major factors of the strategy. Probably there are little bits of color that we, we, we've missed out, like we, some of the things we're doing on sustainability, like the fact that we've removed one and a half billion pieces of plastic from the business in the last three years. Um, that um, we have now got 58% of the products we sell are defined as healthy by the government, which is market leading. Um, and I was going to say that, um, uh, you know, um, great resignation, we, we, we don't talk about great resignation, we talk about great retention. And, and what pandemic has really helped us in terms of retaining our colleagues. I mean, last year we had single digit attrition, this year it's very, very low. And, and, and the reason for that is, is threefold. One, our colleagues are very grateful in terms of, and, and, and they look back on how the organization stood behind them whether it's through vaccination drive, whether it's through helping them cooking meals in our campus and supporting our, our COVID victims, whether it's uh, you know increasing insurance cover, not only just for them, their family, but also their uh, parents. Um, also providing them with hospital beds uh, during the, the Delta outbreak. And then the, the environment of success that we've created for our colleagues around the business. I mean, Tesco as a culture is, is incredible, which, which Ken talked about earlier. I've never been in a business which is so purpose and values driven. And I think that runs in our DNA. And, and, um, and I'm a great believer that we should never manage through performance. We should manage if we take care of our people and create an environment of success for our people the rest automatically take care of itself. So I think but through that philosophy and, and, and having and creating a career path and, 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 and for, for our colleagues and creating the next generation skills for our colleagues, we're able to really retain our, our colleagues within our business. The partnership with Tata, I know you have uh, 60 odd stores uh, through that partnership. Would you like to say anything about that and plans ahead and so on? Well, look, just to say that I'm, I'm actually part of the reason I'm in India is to go visit the stores and to visit um, the Tata trend business in Mumbai. So, um, probably a little early for me to give you any reflections on it until I've seen the businesses. Clearly, I've met Noel a number of times and we've had conversations where we're performing a number of different uh, format trials and we are making progress. Um, but probably as much as I would say at this stage. All right, excellent. Yeah, Ken, Ken Sumit, thank you so much again for your time. Insightful conversation. Uh, definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Thank you very much for your time and we really appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you.
That's it for this conversation. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakali. Thank you for listening.